Welcome to Studs. I'm Daniel Lazar. Studs explores and honors working. It also honors the life's work. Uh, I'm stealing my lines. Whose lines? Mine. What makes these lines yours, little lady? I said them last week. People really like that, by the way. Like, a lot of people were telling me that you should host the podcast instead of me. I'm not sure how I felt about that. Really? Well, you're the one who said a couple of people signed up on the Patreon page after the last episode. And I believe I was the one who hosted the last episode. So maybe they signed up for the Patreon page because I was the one that was hosting it. I mean, you could be right. It's kind of hard to argue with that logic. You know it's not worth arguing with me at all. (laughs) All right, all right. No argument here. So you want to host this one? Of course I do. Okay, well, this is another highlights episode, as you know. Yes. And we're doing the back half of the season. Back half, I see. Do you remember who was on the second half of the fifth season? I mean, you heard them all, but do you remember? Well, I remember the baking lady who lived in Greece. And I totally remember the prisoner person who lives in a camping van. That's two out of four. Do you remember the other two? This is a big test. Wait, wasn't there the guy whose daddy was your dentist? And he helps old people for a living? Totally. You remember him, Sam Tatel? Yeah. I think he was like the perfect guest. He was so kind. Did you like that one? Yeah. Did you listen to the whole thing? I don't remember. Of course I listened to that thing. You play it all the time. (laughs) I did listen to that one more than once, I have to admit. And then there's one more episode in the back half of season five, but I'm not even sure if you're going to remember it. Oh, I'm going to remember it. Give me a clue. A clue. Okay, I'll give you a clue. There were two guests on, not one, and it has something to do with My Fair City of Chicago. Wait, is that the one with the people who worked in the restaurants? Yes, exactly. Do you remember that one with Justin and Ariba, and they have the podcast about working in the hospitality industry? Oh, yeah, you've listened to that one more than one time. Well, you can't blame me. They're pretty awesome. Yeah. All his guests are pretty awesome. I think so. I'm pretty into it. Yeah. Hey, so which one should we throw on first? I don't know. I'm really hungry, so maybe we should start with the lady who bakes cookies and stuff. Also, I remember her name because I know an Alexis, and her name is Alexis. That's right. You do know an Alexis. Okay, so our first clip then is going to be from Alexis Bedoyan, and she is... A baker who bakes really cool cookies and cakes. They're really cool, so you should totally check them out on the internet. Here's Alexis. Maybe this is a kind of out of left field question, but you grew up in a kitchen full of food, full of life. It makes sense that, you know, you would have fallen in love with life in the kitchen. Why baking as opposed to cooking? What is it about baking in particular that really draws you? I think it's the treat factor for me because... Growing up, you know, it's always like the dessert. It's something to look forward to, even though dinner was awesome, too. But, you know, it was always this little bit of extra. And I really think it's that treat factor that's always stuck with me. Say you make a batch of cookies. What is that, like 15, 20 cookies? Yeah. If you make one batch of cookies and you give one cookie to 15 or 20 different people in one day, look at how many smiles you just made. Like, have you ever seen someone bite into a cookie? A good one, a good cookie. For just a moment, they just, they close their eyes, they go to this other place, and it's just this, like, what is this? (laughs) They have this pure, sweet joy, you know? I don't know if you know that look, but it is amazing and is literally why I do what I do. It is like my way of spreading the love, the joy, and goodness, and just happiness, and human contact, And all of this is just in this little thing. 
And I have the ability to reach so many people and I love it and I'm so grateful for that. But that's literally why I do what I do and why I've kept on going. It is the most beautiful thing. And in fact, when I was in Greece, people would always say, you know, when they had something I made, congratulations. And I thought it was so sweet, but I never really got it. And I was in Naples with a friend of mine and we walked past the shop and it was just, they only sold one thing. And so I was like, we got to go in there. Like, and they just sold this like Italian kind of cheesecake type of thing. So we went in and I got a slice and I ate it. And my friend is sitting there talking to the ladies and I'm just have the biggest permagrid on my face and I'm crying. I mean, just tears <laughs> just coming down my face. And the ladies don't speak English and they're looking at me like I'm absolutely bananas and my friends <laughs> dying laughing and I just look at these women and I'm like oh my god congratulations congratulations <laughs> and I was like to my friend I'm like tell them how amazing this is and she's just dying and I was like I get it you know and it's it's such an honor yeah look what food can do right isn't that amazing look what food can do making cakes. The best cake order for me is when I don't have any direction. Or maybe they'll tell me certain colors or whatever. And then I think about the recipient and I just, it kind of goes from there. And actually I'll, a lot of times I have an idea for a cake and then I'll start making it and it just takes me somewhere else and it becomes something totally different than what I had anticipated. And it's even so much better and more fun and sparkly, always sparkly, always sparkly. <laughs> I love the glitter. I told my mom when I die, I want them to cover my body in disco dust. And she was like, <laughs> she's like, you're telling the wrong person. I'm going to go before you. But it is, it makes everything so much better, like sprinkles and like this edible glitter. I mean, it is such a party. But I always think of the recipient once I had a woman order a cake and she's like, it's my friend's birthday. Her mom died a week ago. And I thought, oh, my God, this woman needs to get away. So I just made this really beautiful, pastel-y, beachy, Palm Beach kind of vibe cake for her. I really try to think of the recipient. And honestly, I just pretend they're all for me. I'm like, every day's my birthday. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just pretend all these cakes are for me. And I have so much fun making them. Alexis the Baker. Now we have a guy that my daddy knew from when he was a little boy. And for his work, he works with old people. And he helps them to be happy and comfortable. And he really, really loves his job working with old people. I think that would be a good job for you, actually, being a companion for elderly people. Do you like hanging out with older people? I mean, I like hanging out with Grandma and... Yeah, your grandma's kind of the best, isn't she? Yeah, but I bet somebody else's grandma's great also. Like, everybody's grandma's probably great. Yeah, probably. They have, like, lots of stories to tell. Yeah, but my grandma doesn't tell too many stories. Have you ever asked her to tell stories about what life was like for her growing up in Iowa in the 1950s? Well, I have asked her, like, questions. Well, when you go to Florida this summer, you could ask her more questions. Yeah. She'd probably love to tell you a little bit about what her life was like when she was young. Yeah. What do you think you're going to be like when you're old? A grandma. You think you're going to be a grandma? Yeah. All right, are we ready to get this clip going? Yeah, we're ready. Okay, so this is Sam Tatle, and he's a companion for elderly people, and he also has a company that offers companionship and other services for the elderly communities in Chicago.
I go to a lot of funerals, and over the years, I've gotten more used to it. At first, I used to cry at every single funeral. Now, when I go to a funeral, I try to think of it as a celebration of that person's life. Because what often happens is the family gets up and tells wonderful stories about the person, funny stories, poignant things. And I get to see a side perhaps I didn't see because I met them when they were 85, 90 years old. I don't know what they were like when they were 30 and 40. So I do appreciate funerals as closure for me. Now it is sad because I become close to some of these people and then they pass on. But I'm also grateful for the fact that I helped make their final years perhaps a little more tolerable. One client once said to me, one of my early clients, that you make growing old not so bad. And I think I might get choked up thinking about her because uh, I can't think of a better compliment for the work that I do. Yeah, that is well-earned high praise. Hey, you mentioned the Shiva, and I'm not sure that all of our listeners know exactly what a Shiva is. Can you give us a quick breakdown of what Shiva is, and then I have a question about it? A Shiva is a mourning period for a deceased Jewish person. Oftentimes, it lasts seven days. After the funeral, for seven days, the family sits Shiva, is what it's called, and they stay in their home and they receive guests, and there's a lot of food. Everybody brings food. There's not so much alcohol. Jews don't drink alcohol during Shiva because they want to remember. They don't want to dull the pain and the remembrance. They want to remember. So I guess if you could dull your pain with chopped liver and corned beef, <laughs> we do that. But it's a little bit different. So sitting Shiva, the family receives people for seven days. And everybody comes in and tells stories and talks. And there are a few laughs and there's some prayers. You pray morning, noon and night if you're in a, uh, a religious Jewish home. And that's what a Shiva is. But like I said, it's, it's supposed to be a time of comfort for the grieving family. Thanks for setting the, the table uh, for us, setting it, setting it with corned beef and, <laughs> and liver and pastrami, of course. So I, I have a, a quick question about it. Like, to put it bluntly, like, what's your Shiva game? Like you have to show up and you're there in earnest. You want to celebrate this person's life and you want to join in the morning and you want to provide solace. And I know that you do it in earnest with all of the humanity that you bring to everything that you do in your life. Our listeners are already recognizing that you're just good like that. At the same time, on some level, this is part of your work and you got to get back to work. So can you talk about how you sit Shiva, given the kind of the, the, the dual roles that you have to inhabit in this precious and sacred environment? As it turns out, we are able to differentiate ourselves from our competitors by attending funerals in Shiva. It's not too common for people in my industry to attend a person's Shiva. And when I enter a Shiva house, I'm usually looking for a daughter or a son of the deceased to pay my respects. And I want to say thank you for letting us help your parent. And they were a great person. And I'm so sorry that they're gone. And usually they're very surprised to see me because they really didn't expect to hear from me again after their parent was gone. But... I think being a mensch is important, and I want to be there to say goodbye also. By the way, they like when people eat at the Shiva. <laughs> There's so much food at the Shiva that after I pay my respects, they say, please, Sam, eat something. We've got coffee cake in the other room. 
and I am grateful to oblige in that respect because I like to eat. And I also, I, I, as you know, I like to kibitz. So I get a plate, I fill up my plate, I sit down on a folding chair in the living room. I usually don't know anybody except for the children of the deceased. And, you know, they're talking with other people. So I sit there and I eat and I listen and I stay about 20 minutes, half an hour. I say goodbye. I pay my respects one more time and I leave and I have closure and the family feels the respect that I have for their loss. And also I get a nice meal. So I have to ask, and Sam, if this is a question that's too emotionally or psychologically fraught for you, please tell me. But if you see that the Shiva is being catered by Max and Benny's, Kaufman's or Manny's, <laughs> which of these three corned beefs uh, would make you most happy? Oh, wow. This is a, a very important question regarding corned beef. Yes. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. I can't tell the difference. I can only tell the difference between lean corned beef and regular corned beef because the lean corned beef has less fat on it. But I can't tell the difference between Manny's, Vienna beef, Max and Benny's, Kaufman's, New York bagel and Bialy. I'm sorry, I can't tell the difference. But, you know, I don't mind sampling them all. And on a similar level, and again, if this is too emotionally fraught for you, tell me, do you feel sort of empowered to know that if you happen to have a bunch of liver on the side of your face that no one's going to say anything because a bunch of other people have liver in the corner of their mouths also? Well, this is an important question. And the worst is when I get back to the car and I look in the rearview mirror <laughs> and I've got liver on my face or I've got chopped liver in my teeth. I'm like, oh, darn it. I just said goodbye to everybody with liver all over my face. And this has happened more than once, Dan. Yeah. No, I, I do have to say, though, having been to, you know, my share of shivas in my time, what you are saying could be more true. The sheer amount of food, it is just, I mean, it's like, it's like the, it's like the peak of the Roman Empire. It's a bona fide <laughs> smorgasbord and you just have to like kind of control yourself. But that's the thing I got to tell you, and perhaps you know this, food is comforting. Yeah. And when you can't think of a way to comfort somebody, food is a good way. When the Shiva family comes back from the funeral, they're supposed to sit down at the table and people are supposed to bring them food. You're not even really supposed to ask. Uh, if you're working a Shiva house, if you're a friend, a relative, you make a plate and you give it to the person mourning. Uh, you know, if all else fails, feed them. Yeah. Not infrequently, you are forced to deal with people who are suffering tremendous physical pain. They have existential anxieties. They have profound psychological woe. I guess I just wonder how you tap into your seemingly endless resource of empathy to kind of meet people where they're at. Dan, as you know, I like to kibitz. And one thing that I could do is talk to people. And when people are in pain, I would love to distract them in any sort of way. And I could do that through conversation. I've been in Chicago for a long time. I know a lot about Chicago. And these people whom I help have been in Chicago even a lot longer. So I try and take their mind off their pain. I'm like, hey, did you know that the Cubs are playing today? They're playing the Cardinals at 120. The Sox are in Detroit. You know, because they might be a North Side fan, they might be a South Side fan. I try to take their mind off anything. Oh, hey, Ravinia's opening up in Highland Park in July. You should go see CSO. It's anything to get their mind out of pain, anything to get their mind off of their sadness. I just try and help them turn a corner, if at all possible. And I know a lot of ways to do that because I've been doing it for, well, practically my whole life. 
Like, I don't mind telling a dirty joke to an older lady. If you find a 93-year-old woman and tell her a dirty joke, first of all, they probably won't get offended because they've heard everything all before. <laughs> and it also will take their mind off their worries for about eight seconds. But I mean, it's eight seconds of relief and laughter. And I love that. I love that about my job. I love connecting with people. Wait, he likes to tell dirty jokes to old grandmas? <laughs> well, yeah, because, you know, they've heard it all, and he's just trying to make them smile. Okay. Does that seem kind of strange to you? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, but whatever it takes, right? Yeah, I guess so. He seems like a pretty cool guy, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. You know, one day maybe you'll be able to meet Sam Tatel. We'll hang out with him in Chicago, and we'll go get a corned beef and liver sandwich. Does that sound good to you? Vegetarian over here. Oh, that's right. What does a vegetarian eat at the deli? Oh, we can get potato latkes with applesauce. That sounds like I've never had them before. Mama's made potato latkes, right? They're like really greasy, greasy potatoes. Potato llamas? Potato llamas. Yes, it's a mixture of llama and potato. That does disgusting. <laughs> I'm talking about latkes. You must have had latkes. <gasps> oh, I'm pretty sure I have latkes. This next clip is with two people who have their own podcast, just like my daddy. It's called Terms of Service. And they talk to cool people who work in all sorts of restaurants and bars. And they talk about how it can be really, really hard to work in restaurants and bars in Chicago. I don't know if I could have a job like that. Why not? It could be fun to work in a restaurant or a bar. I mean, I want to be a veterinarian. I have an idea. Maybe I could start a bar for animals. Like the dogs could have dog food juice. That doesn't sound great, but... <laughs> Did you say dog food juice? Yeah. And the cast could have the meat smoothies. That sounds so nasty. I know, but the cats will like it. Like just the phrase, meat smoothie. <laughs> sounds disgusting, but it's probably good for cats. Oh, and I have an idea. Maybe the bunnies could have carrot cocktails. Ooh, a carrot mocktail. Yep. All right, so you want to tee it up? Yeah, I think I'm ready to tee it up. This is Justin and Nariba from the Terms of Service podcast. Look, this podcast that I host is a podcast that seeks to to celebrate, to explore, and to honor working. And y'all have been hustling. You've been working real hard in and outside of the industry. And now you have this podcast about working in the industry. And what I'd like to know is now that you're 10 episodes in, what lessons have you learned from your explorations on your podcast about working in the industry? Well, yeah, Justin, you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, okay. Um, what I've really learned is how intertwined we all are. Through Terms of Service, I have been able to find myself through the stories of so many, which was something that I wasn't really expecting. It has really amplified my, my worldview, like my macro vision of what it's like to empathize with, you know, my, my contributors, my, my colleagues. Terms of Service has just been like this weird and very welcome response to a whole bunch of questions that I didn't even think that I was asking yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mental health is real. 
the boundaries that you can place for yourself are necessary. I, when I came into the industry, I, I just, I worked a lot because I thought that that was just the thing that you did. I was surrounded by people that, that worked a lot and you find out that that behavior, it breeds a coping mechanism. It breeds, you know, alcoholism. It, it, it breeds drug abuse because you're literally exhausted. Yeah. (laughs) Like you're just physically and mentally worn down and listening to to people express how they place boundaries has been really important for me i'm not the best at it but i'm getting there yeah he's getting better yes i am getting i am getting better i can hear you justin when people talk about exhaustion as the norm and stress as the status symbol. And it does come up on almost every episode in one way, (laughs) shape or form. Yeah, Like I hear you, Justin, I hear you grappling with that Yeah, because you are ambitious and you do want to make a difference and you do pride yourself on working hard, but I can hear you like appreciate the law of diminishing return on that. Like it sounds like this podcast has helped you to create some space for yourself. And no matter how long the podcast lasts, like that's going to stay with you forever. You're, you're finding reasons to create margin in your life. And uh, I've been really interested in listening to you sort of like really respond to your guests when they speak on that theme. It's one of my favorite things about your podcast. Chef Naribo, <laughs> tell me, what have you learned over the course of your 10 episodes talking about life in the industry? I know this is going to sound lame, but for me, it is, in fact, mental health. Because I went to school and I studied human development and family studies. And then I was like, I'm a chop vegetables for a living. And every single kitchen that I walked into, every event space that I would go into, you can tell that people are sort of like on their last leg every single day. And they're just trying to like get by. And... I think that the conversations that we're having now started for me like two and a half years ago when I started seeing a therapist again and like having someone else question all of the crazy shit that I see as like, this is just normal and this is how you survive in the industry. And like, we are in an industry where you're not allowed to be soft or, or have like feelings that are beyond anger and frustration. Doing the podcast has taught me that everything that we do in life comes back into play in our current situations. And I never thought at the beginning of meeting Justin. When you were just minding your own business. I was just minding my own business. (laughs) Like I never thought that... I would be in this situation where people are like, oh yeah, mental health, it's important. (laughs) Like, and that seems to be like a really nice thing to take away from it, but fixing the individuals in the industry instead of the industry problems. And that's another thing that I've learned is that it's more about getting people to want more for themselves individually that can afford us the eventuality of fixing the larger structural problems. Because if the person at the top of the company is like, yep, we don't sleep, we do a bunch of drugs, and that's how we stay awake 24-7 they're not going to give a shit about changing what's happening below them. Yes. But it's like, if you can get to the individuals along the way, maybe we can make a greater change happen.
I hope that the pandemic teaches people that everyone should be valued and accommodated for their work in a livable way. I feel like it was already beginning to become a, a topic of conversation before the pandemic, but that's the one thing I want people to take out of this. Like the reason that people aren't returning to work isn't because they don't want to work. They just know that they cannot afford to live off of unstable and unsustainable wages. Right. Yeah. And I know it's like, asking for rain in the middle of the desert, but that's what I want. That's what I want to see is like people being able to afford the luxury of going to the dentist. Yeah. For example, <laughs> at the top of my career was making enough money, no benefits, no, no sort of benefits, no time off to like take care of yourself. And now I'm unemployed, uninsured, and I have to figure out how to get a double roof canal in the next two weeks. And that's because it's never been an option for me before to have all of the basic human rights, allegedly, that were supposed to be granted. So, yeah, I just want people to make livable wages. How dare you, Nariba, have the audacity. <laughs> I know. God. The temerity. My non-American ideas are coming to light. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. I hope that too, for you and for yours and for all things just. Yes. Justin. Yes. What do you hope perhaps versus what do you expect this pandemic will do to the industry? I'm hopefully expecting <laughs> that, that there will be a shift in more transparent coverage of the industry and how these personalities that publications want to put all of their weight behind, these institutions that want to put all of their resources behind, are understanding that that is on the backs of real people. And yeah. that in order for us to celebrate the achievements of the industry, we have to be mindful of how we got there in the first place. And yes. and also providing spaces for those that have felt that their terms of service is to be overlooked, undervalued, and wildly underpaid. Mm -hmm. So what, what I hope is an extension of what Nariba mentioned, but looking at that from really just a coverage perspective, you know, if, if, you, if you want someone to give a shit about your damn birthday, ma'am, then you need to extend that same sort of grace to the stranger who came in at 5 a.m. to start prepping whatever sort of dish that you are enjoying for your night out. Yes. That is the exchange that I am expecting and extremely hopeful towards. My daddy was talking about Justin and Ariva forever after he recorded that podcast. But I think he made it like this podcast even more. This girl that I was talking to was named Kayla. She was my daddy's student like 20 years ago or something. But now she's a nurse. But not a nurse in a hospital or anything like that. She was a nurse in a prison. But don't think she was a prisoner. She was in the prison helping the people that were in prison when they were sick. But after a while, she thought that job was just impossible. I mean, can you imagine going to prison every day when you didn't even have to be there? Can you imagine that? No. So Kayla had to really get out of that prison. And so she bought a camping van. And now she drives it all over America, being a nurse for people who need her. You know, if you're not a veterinarian when you grow older, I wonder if you would want to be a nurse. I think that could be a great job for you. What do you think? Mm, I don't think so. Why not? Because I'd rather be a veterinarian than a nurse. 
Okay. You'd rather help the animals than the people? Yes. That kind of makes sense. I think I've had just about enough of people. Yeah. I mean, if she's a nurse, then if she gets into any camping van crashes, she could just nurse herself. That is a splendid point. Go Madeline Rose. Thank you. You know, but even nurses need nursing sometimes, right? Yeah, even nurses need nursing sometimes. Oh, I have to tell everyone. One of the other highlights from season five for me was that another former student of mine, Carl Hauk, who's also a patron of the Studs podcast over at patreon.com studs, he and his band Sun Jacket released an album. And I appended one of his songs from his new album to the end of the episode with Kayla. Can I hear it? Yeah, for sure. Sun Jacket's new album is called More Lifelike. It's pretty out of this world, and it's available wherever you get new music. Yeah. I liked the one song that you played. Can we listen to the whole thing? How about we do that right now? Oh, yeah. Okay. I love you, Madeline Rose Pathar. Thank you. Thanks for doing this with me. You're welcome. Here's Kayla. You know what? Like, I'm a nurse. They have inmates there that are sick. Why not try to do this? And so I just kind of started literally looking jail nursing. There's a really severely distorted and inappropriate view of what kind of people even make up our prison system. (laughs) Society is so terrified of not even convicted criminals yet. And I felt for that, my brother growing up, my big brother, my hero, the one that taught me to be as much of a badass and an athlete as I like to claim I am. Um, (laughs) And he used to run the streets and was a gang member and was in and out of jail and prison. And, you know, so I literally had it at home growing up where this just wasn't some POS human. This was my big brother. And then I kind of evolved into literally stepping in there and just being face to face with these people, not these criminals, these human beings. And I think right there, you're like, oh, there's work to be done here. I just felt this compassionate pull towards these people that are just overall traumatized individuals, you know, hurt people, hurt people. That's kind of what made me want to help them. I guess on the most basic level, I wonder what the role of the nurse is in getting people through addiction treatment. I mean, we have administrators there, we have therapists and counselors. How do you nurse people through addiction treatment? Just by Being there, I know that that sounds stupid, but just being there, being real, holding space, because in my opinion, the real reason people are getting in so much trouble and the real reason people are doing drugs is trauma. Trying to escape whatever it is that they're dealing with. I mean, my approach is 100% letting them know, again, that they matter and that healing is possible. Like, basic human shit. Like, I'm here. I don't judge you. I don't just think you're a piece of shit addict. They are so stigmatized by society as being, oh, they just have no self-control. Like, okay, get over yourself. Come on. You know, there is so much more that goes into it. You know, I go into the the lunchroom with them. I sit down at their tables with them. I make inside jokes with them. Of course, there is the need to maintain my professional boundaries, which I do, but I'm still a human and I'm going to just belly up to the table with you and treat you like a peer and somebody who's deserving of that kind of attention. And again, it opens up the door and the trust and the, the rapport that I have with the patients. And that inevitably completely makes a difference in how I'm able to do my job because I'm not just standing behind the nursing desk, passing out pills like a freaking robot. And some people do that. It drives me nuts, but (laughs) 
I know, hey, this person who's here for alcohol addiction, they weren't at lunch. Or when they were at lunch, they couldn't put the glass of apple juice to their mouth because they were shaking so bad. I know that that immediately influences my medical treatment because I'm seeing them in their daily lives and how they're operating. I'm seeing their mood. I'm seeing how they appear. That's a full-on assessment 24 hours a day. And so just jumping into the trenches, if you will, um, gives me a ton of information. Even being there, you know, my favorite thing one time is this girl said, oh my God, like, where were you six years ago? And I was like, um, totally being an alcoholic, super anxious, depressed by myself and dealing with a ton of my old trauma. And they were kind of like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm on this side of the door now, but I know what it's like to be at the very desperate side of knowing I need and want to heal and feel better regardless of what it's from. So I know how you feel. In theory, that helps facilitate their healing. Now, Kayla, you had brought up Brian Stevenson, who writes and speaks on restorative justice. And I've uh, read one of his books, and I'm very interested in this project. Brian Stevenson speaks with a clear-eyed focus on empathy and kindness and grace and building bridges. And so much of what you were talking about in our discussion really echoes the themes that he focuses on. You must feel really connected to Brian Stevenson. Oh my God, I love him. Like, (laughs) it feels like his words are like plucking out of my soul. Like, oh my God, you finally gave me a way to articulate that with the grace and like positive perspective. Because everything, he's talking about terrible shit. The upswing of hope that like falls on every word that he says is awesome. And I think that's, I just, I love him, you know, with addicts and the whole um, approach to, to dealing with them. We get so many in the emergency room too. And just the other day, and this has happened a ton before where there's an overwhelming sense that like they will be judged by medical professionals. You know, this guy said to me, he's like, well, I know you guys all judge addicts. And I was like, hold up, dude. I'm like, I'm going to stop you right there. (laughs) Like you're more than the worst thing you've ever done. The healing is possible and the recovery from it is possible with tons of investigation and self-exploration and stuff. I love Brian Stevenson. Me too. On a very loosely related note, some of the themes that you touched on remind me of the work of Stephen Hayes. Are you familiar with Stephen Hayes? I don't believe so. He is perhaps the founder of acceptance and commitment therapy. It's really steeped in um, like radical behaviorism. It's tied to mindfulness. One of the takeaways from my years reading Stephen Hayes is this challenge that he offers his clients to know when to give agency and give voice to the thoughts that are going through their head and knowing when to disinvite those thoughts. Mm -hmm. So like we all have, let's say, a negative thought. Perhaps it's a shameful moment. Perhaps it's a trauma. It's the inner roommate. (laughs) Yeah. And it's sort of knowing when to let the inner roommate speak. And like sometimes, you know, the roommates constantly knocking, constantly making noise. And there are times and places to be like, okay, it's you. I know what you're going to say. I know how it's going to make me feel. Mm -hmm. And right now I'm going to let you, right? I'm out for a run. Yeah, I'm going to let you sort of infiltrate my consciousness. But then being able to, at another time in your day or your week, be like, you know what? I, I let you talk the other day. I didn't like it that much. I know you're just going to say the same thing again. It's going to make me feel the same way again. 
So you're not invited right now. Don't worry. I'll let you back in. But if you could just go the fuck away for, for mm-hmm. now, because I'm trying to have like a nice dinner <laughs> yeah. with my partner or with my colleagues or whatever. And I was thinking about when you were talking about some of the more intense thoughts and feelings you have vis-a-vis your work. If this type of approach is something that you end up without maybe knowing who Stephen Hayes is using because you've grappled intensely and frequently with highly traumatic situations and you've had some trauma yourself and you seem to have either instinctually and or through reading and study and mindfulness and yoga you seem to have cultivated some real perspective in terms of how to grapple with all that so I think honestly that's the part where I say like it's a blessing and a curse to feel things so deeply or you know like I kind of always battle with that there's times where it's like hey like you just chill the fuck out and like just be like I sometimes exhaust myself there was even something that I I meant to say for sure on the podcast but also didn't want to like get too much in but I saved this piece of paper that is jotted down in green highlighter from this like crazy depressed drunken night that I had. And it said, maybe I got into a career of trying to help others because I felt I could never really help myself. Mm. You know, when I first started healing, it was from sexual abuse as a kid. Not like I'm over that, but I think growing up having that be like my trauma, you know, you walk around to a restaurant, you could say, Hey man, what's your trauma? What's your trauma? What's your trauma? Everyone has a fucking answer. I very intimately dealt with that grapple my whole life. Now I've become very proud of like, I am a badass bitch. Like the resilience that I've cultivated, it it absolutely has led to my empathy because I know what it's like to be like this privileged little white girl and still struggle. And that's how I've lived my entire life. My abuse happened when I was five. Well, and then again, when I was 13 and again, as a teenager and, you know, all kinds of other shit, but the big one happened when I was five, that absolutely completely changes your consciousness. My ability to be like a hard ass, badass, don't fuck with me kind of girl is very much based on the survival tactics and defense mechanisms I needed until I was able to break those walls down and then start to heal from that shit. I clearly was meant to help heal other people, I think. <laughs> it's like, fuck, like, I just, <laughs> I want a day off from trying to heal all the things. Like, sometimes I wish I just didn't care, but, and, you know, that's also just not who I am. Food. 